Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, and we're picking up again in verse 7, which is kind of partway through a segment where we had to stop last time. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we uh, get into your word this morning, we just pray that you'll give us understanding and insight into uh, these examples and things that you give us. Some are maybe not necessarily really clear, but uh, they're very enlightening. Just pray that you'll, you'll help us to understand uh, what it is that, that you're teaching us through Paul and, and that we can take it and understand it and apply it in our own lives. We just pray your, your blessing on our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so to get our bearings, we are going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, through the end of the chapter. Yeah. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated, even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. You've become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and in his presence I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. I'm sorry, Gerald. Verse, I lost track. Verse 4. Three? Four. We're four. verse 4. Thank yeah. you. Uh, so when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Lord, to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that... A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread, the sincerity of truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Not at all, meaning sexually immoral of the, this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out, of, go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God judges those outside. First, the evil person from among you. Okay. Now, last week we were uh, finishing up verse 5. And this is kind of a difficult verse because it, it's got these phrases that, you know, uh, talks about delivering one to Satan for the destruction of his, of his flesh. What does that mean? We looked at the the two main ideas here is that flesh could be the, the physical body. And we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where we read on communion that they were, there was many sick, many had asleep, which is physical discipline from God. Um, on the other hand, flesh could represent the old nature. And you know, we're told th throughout the epistles, put to death the old man, you know, put off the old man. And so that fits too. And I'm not really sure which one it is. I'm not sure which way I'm leaning either, <laughs> as far as an answer. But the, the ultimate goal here, um, and we saw in other places, was uh, to restore such a one. 
So this is a disciplinary process, not an ultimate judgment to get rid of them, but to, to cause them to be restored, that they would uh, be brought to repentance and confess their sin and, and uh, change their lifestyle and be restored. Um, then we began, uh, went on to verse 6, and, and uh, here Paul is introducing kind of an analogy uh, based on the Old Testament um, teachings about leaven and New Testament terminology about what leaven is. And we see that, that leaven typically represents something <coughs> that's bad or evil. Um, you know, we looked at uh, in the Jesus warning his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees, which was their false teaching, and to, to watch out for that because it spreads. You get a little leaven and pretty soon it spreads throughout the whole lump. And so he tells, uh, tells them to clean out this old leaven. Um, and so that brings us uh, into verse 7. Um, and so he, he repeats the, the, his admonition in verse 7. Uh, Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this comes from the... Old Testament uh, feast of Passover and then followed by, immediately by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that's what he's taking and using to teach uh, this, uh, this lesson here in the New Testament. So let's start by looking at uh, the Passover uh, requirement to remove leaven. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. Chapter 12. And someone like to read verses 14 and 15 for us. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Okay, so here we have, for the first of the feast, you, you remove the leaven, get rid of all the leaven in the household, and then you keep it out for the next seven days. That's the feast of unleavened bread. Um, we've been talking about excommunication. If a person does not do that, what does it say happens to them? You'll be cut off from Israel. Right, so uh, that's another example of uh, excommunication from the Old Testament. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 2. Someone would like to read verse 11 when we get there. Nor any honey as food offering to the Lord. Okay, so 11 was prohibited 
as part of a, a grain offering. Now, this also includes honey. And the commentary said, well, they both involve fermentation processes. Um, I don't know if you've heard an old English drink called mead that basically was fermented honey. So they both will ferment. Um, we have a little honey pitcher that we use at our table, and I fill it, and sometimes it gets left there a long time, and one time it grew an awful lot of mold and stuff on it. It's like, okay, I can understand this fermenting, rotting process. Yeah, honey will, uh, it doesn't keep forever. Um, so, uh, when Paul says, clean out the old leaven, he's telling them to remove the evil from their midst. Get rid of the evil. And here it applies to excommunication. You've got a particular man who is an evil lifestyle, immoral lifestyle. He's leavened in their congregation. Get rid of him before he spreads to the whole rest of the church. So basically they are to sanctify themselves. Um, and here it's it's not just individually, but it's the church as a whole. Set yourself apart from God. Get rid of the evil that's in your midst. We do have examples uh, in Paul's other writings. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, where he's talking about essentially sanctifying yourself individually. Ephesians chapter 4. And would someone like to read 22 through 24? Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And you put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so first it says, put off, get aside the old, put, put away the old self. It's corrupt. It tells us right there, it's corrupt, just like the leaven uh, is cor a corrupting influence. And at the end of it, it says, you know, put on the new self, which has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we have here, you know, the, our progressive or expansive, experiential sanctification. That's where we keep putting off our sins, keep putting off the evil, get rid of it out of our lives. That's progressive. You know, we're still working on it. We haven't got there yet. Um, but it's based again on the, what we see is the positional sanctification at the end of verse 24. The new self has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so we will see that same thing as we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, that we have a positional sanctification. Um, he goes on, again, looking at verse 7. Clean out the old lump that you may be a new lump, just as in fact you are unleavened. So he's saying you are unleavened. You have positional sanctification. God has made you new that's your position, you're unleavened. But now you have to um, live that way, enact that, by putting out this, this evil person. 
<coughs> so, um, you know, God's freed us from sin and, and he's cleaned us from sin and now we have to live that way. So this uh, sanctification, the positional sanctification here is linked to Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. So it's based on Christ's sacrifice. Just as um, the Jews uh, were set free through the Passover sac uh, sacrifice. If you go back and remember the Jewish history, on the night the Passover lamb was sacrificed, they were told to be packed and ready to leave. So they were in slavery to Egypt with all this corruption. The Passover was sacrificed and then they left that night. Just, and you can remember Passover, that night is the night of a full moon, middle of the month. So it was bright enough they could see where they're going. You know, God, God knows what he's doing. <laughs> it didn't take them out on the first of the month when it pitched black and they couldn't. Yeah. So they had a full moon to see where they're going. They left in the middle of the night. And so based on the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, they were released from the slavery in Egypt and set free from that, and now they're leaving. So that's the analogy that, that uh, Paul is drawing on here. Um, he's already told the Corinthians that they are sanctified. Let's go back to chapter 1. Does someone like to read verse 30 for us? Or 30, yes. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Okay, to redeem means to purchase out. So through Christ's blood, we've been purchased out of the world, just as the Jews were purchased out of Egypt, and sanctified, set apart for God. So there's our sanctification. And he says, you've already, Christ has done this for you already. That's, that's why he's saying here, you are in fact unleavened. Same thing. Let's turn to chapter 6. Um, would someone like to read verse 11 for us? And that is what some of you are. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay. So here he, he just, before this, he lists all these sins. And he says, that's, that's what you were. But you have been sanctified. You have been taken out and set apart. So this, that's our pos positional sanctification. And so now he's going and saying, okay, now live that way. God's removed us from sin, from the power of sin, slavery to sin. Now live that way. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 6. This is kind of the, the ultimate passage about this. Uh, so we'll go, we'll read, a fair, we'll read around because it's a very long passage. Romans chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 5 and read through 14. 5 through 14. Where you For want to start? If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be, be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The wonder is died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God and in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lusts. Do not present your members to sin as, in, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so we see here in, the, in, in verses 5 through 11, that's our positional sanctification. As Christ died on the cross and then was raised from the dead, we've died to sin and were raised to new life. So that has happened. That's what God has already done in us. We've been separated from sin. We've died to sin. We've been raised to new life. And that corresponds to the Passover. And then he goes on starting in, in 12. This is the application. Therefore... Don't let sin reign in your body. Get rid of it. So this is our progressive sanctification. And that corresponds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it means to keep, keep the leaven away. On Passover, you got rid of it, and now you go for a period of time making sure it doesn't come back in, making sure it's not there. And so that's what, when he goes on and uh, back in our passage, right after Passover, he talks about unleavened bread. Looking at verse 8, back in 1 Corinthians 5. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, but with the leaven, or no leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So as the Jews went for seven days without any leaven, so we're just go longer than seven days <laughs> we're to continue without leaven put it out of our lives um, clean it out of the nation um, and so here Paul is really ordering the, the Corinthian church to clean out the sin from their midst and to keep it out uh, we want you to be unleavened now we can't be sinless I mean none of us are sinless so you know, we, we can't go around saying, oh, you told a fib, get out of the church, you know, <laughs> kick out of the church. Now, this, is, this deals more with the, uh, more of the major sins, I guess you'd call them. And, and we will see that as we go through uh, further along in chapter 5 and then later in chapter 6. Paul really lists the things that, you know, this is the stuff that was really bad that you excommunicate someone for, for a lifestyle of sin, not just for are stumbling and falling, but for a lifestyle of sin. Now here he specifically, in verse 8, he specifically mentions the old leaven of malice 
and wickedness. And the commentary said these are almost synonyms. They're very similar. They're very general terms uh, referring to evil. Malice is, however, is a little bit more of the, um, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We think about evil. And wickedness is carrying it out, the actions of evil, the things we say and do that come from that. So we're to put away malice and wickedness. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, we something like to read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Okay. So here, you know, he starts out, put aside all malice, our same term from Peter, uh, this general attitude of thinking about evil, and he lists some of the other things that go with it. Uh, but what's the cure? What does Peter say the cure is? Longing for the forgiveness of the word? Yes. It's the word of God. Take it in. Um, newborn babes, if you don't feed them, they, they wail and cry and fuss until you do. You know, and that's the way we ought to be when we're born again as new, new babies in Christ. Now, if we go back and look at the Corinthians in chapter 3, I think it was in verse 2, Paul said, you know, <coughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to take you from milk into solid food, but you wouldn't go. So they were having an eating problem. They didn't want to take in the word. Uh, they became stubborn and arrogant. So they were not uh, proceeding along uh, in this uh, route of sanctification. Now in place of leaven, back in, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, he says, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity has the idea of being pure, like uh, pure water without sediment in it. If you've looked at a glass, a clear glass of water with sediment, and you can see the stuff floating around in there. And he says, you don't want to be like that. You want to be pure. Now, a lot of times when uh, going through the commentaries and things, and you, they'll try to explain a Greek word by looking at the, en the entomology of it. Where does it come from? How did they come up with this word? And this is one that, uh, is, it, this is a possible entomology. They're not absolutely sure of it. But that it combines the word for sunlight with the word for judge. And so this is the idea that you've got something, you take it out into the sunlight so you can get a really good look at it to see if it's okay or to, to look at it, you know, to judge it. And so that's kind of the idea here. Take something out into the sunlight uh, to see, you know, really what it is. And that's the, the bread that we ought to be eating, is of openness, of being, uh, our hearts being 
judged by God. Let's look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Would someone like to read verses 3 and 4? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. Okay, so here we have this pure heart. That's the same idea. A heart that's, you can take David is saying you can take your heart out into the bright sunlight and look at it and not see any impurities. Um, I keep thinking about a nice sunny day, the sunlight shines in through the window and you look at your floor and it's like, oh, where did all that dirt come from? <laughs> that's, that's the analogy here. The sun, you know, the light of the sun can shine on our hearts and not see dirt. We want pure hearts. Um, also, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, someone like to read verse 8 for us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, so again, the pure in heart. Um, Jesus may have been referencing the psalm here. David was saying, who, you know, who goes into the presence of God? Those who have a pure heart. And here he says, those who have a pure in heart will seek God. So we have uh, the unleavened bread of sincerity or purity, and then secondly, truth. Truth obviously means, you know, there's no falsehood there. Uh, but it means more than that. It has the positive idea of having uh, the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel in our hearts. Um, you know, it's like before we're saved, our hearts are full of garbage. And God tells us, clean it out. So you clean, the, clean the room out, spick and span, but he says, that's not enough. Now fill it with good things. I want truth in there. So these two words go together. You clean it out so it's, it can pass examination. There's no dirt. Now start filling it with good things. Um, so this idea of truth. The only other place Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians is in chapter 13, the love chapter. Where it says, love rejoices with the truth. Um, but he does use it in 2 Corinthians, this idea of truth. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So I'd like to read verses 6 and 7 for us. Okay, so Paul's going through and um, kind of listing, uh, in the first part of this, he talks about all his beatings and things, and then he talks about the positive things in his life, and we see the purity, and they also see in seven the word of truth. 
So these are both positive things that he manifests in his life. And then staying in 2 Corinthians, let's turn back to chapter 4. And someone like to read verse 2. Okay, so so Paul is defending himself against the attacks from the Corinthians, and he's saying again, you know, he, um, you know, hasn't been hiding things. He's not been crafty. That's the idea again of purity. He hasn't been doing that, but he's also manifesting truth. And and finally, to in this section, let's turn to Hebrews chapter four. I mean, talk about taking something out into the sunlight so you can see the dirt. And this this passage, I think, really uh, just points at that. Hebrews chapter four, some like to read verses twelve and thirteen. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Okay. So here, uh, the writer's talking about how the Word of God affects us. The first part is, uh, you know, how God can see into our hearts. You know, this is, again, we, we talk about taking something into the sunlight to be able to see what's there. And then we get into in verse 13. And I always remember when I taught, taught Hebrews, um, understand these words where it says, all things are open and laid bare. This is, I think that maybe a stronger translation is naked and exposed. Yeah. And I, I, that always makes me uncomfortable. It's like our souls are totally naked, totally exposed to God, completely. We can't hide anything. Every speck of crud that's there, he knows about. So we might as well be honest with him. You know, when we confess our sins, we need to be totally and completely honest. He knows what's there. We can't go around hiding stuff. So when Paul talks about uh, the, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that's Part of what he's getting at, exposing it all, and then filling it up again uh, with truth. So that kind of fills up or ends his his analogy from the you know, the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. And then starting verse nine, uh, Paul needs to he's he's going to clarify a misunderstanding. Now this still ties into uh, excommunication. But he has to clear up a misunderstanding first uh, from a former letter. So 9 and 10, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not all mean with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. So he talks about a letter that he had written. And they, this is called the lost letter. So he'd written to them before, before 1 Corinthians. So this is really this 
1 Corinthians is the second Corinthian letter, and 2 Corinthians is the third Corinthian letter. <laughs> I just say that to confuse you a little bit. Um, just uh, interesting, the word letter in Greek is epistole, where we get epistle. So we talk about the epistles of Paul, it's just the letters of Paul. That's a transliterate, uh, where you take a Greek word and just basically use the Greek word as a new English word. Um, so he had written to them earlier about dealing with immoral people. The word immoral is porne. We are familiar with pornography, that's where that comes from. So some translations say sexually immoral instead of just immoral. I'm, my New American Standard just says immoral, but it, it is involves the sexual immorality here. So he had written about how do you deal with sexually immoral people? Now, we had talked in our introduction to Corinth about how horrible the city was. You know, it was like they were the Sodom of their age. Um, and so Paul had to give them you know, additional instruction. How do you deal with it? You're put into this culture that's so horrible. How do you deal with it? Um, now, we're not told very much about this first letter, so we don't know if there was a, uh, if they had asked questions. As, as we get further along in 1 Corinthians, he'll, he's basically saying, well, you wrote to me and I'm answering your question. So we don't know if he, he had a question or if there was a specific issue or what. Um, I don't think it involved this particular man from verse 1 because he seems kind of shocked about it. He says, I, I've heard this report. You know, because he hadn't heard about it before. Apparently it had not been going on while he was there because he, he would have dealt with it. Um, he'd written to him earlier and he didn't, you know, so this seems like something new. So he's going to take his previous teaching to them and, and apply it to the current problem. So Paul has told them not to associate with immoral people. So the word associate means to mix up together. This is like uh, we get instructions sometimes that say stir well or a can of spray paint, shake it really good, get it all mixed up really good. Yeah. That's this idea, getting totally mixed up with uh, these kind of people, to be intimately mixed up with them. Um, now, he uses uh, this term again in verses 9 and 11. <coughs> but we also have it, um, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 14 and 15. And I don't know if I want to go there or not, because... We've been there before and we'll go there again. But this is another one of the verses where he tells them basically to excommunicate uh, these two false teachers from their midst. Um, but again, that's where he says, he, don't treat him as a brother, he's, or treat him as a brother because he's not an enemy. So, but again, don't get so thoroughly mixed up with, with believers. Now we ought to associate with other believers like this. We should be associating with other believers. Um, we should enjoy them. We should share our joys and our sorrows and worship together. 
you know, drink coffee together after church. That's how we're supposed to function as believers. Um, but he had written to him, you know, but if someone's immoral, don't mix with them that way. But uh, he said they were, they were applying this prohibition to the wrong people. And that's what he says in verse 10. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. Um, you know, he, so he, he said, don't completely disassociate with the people in the world like you would with a, a, a believer who's sexually immoral. Um, and what does he call them? He call, you know, this is not the nice people in the world. He calls them covetous and swindlers and idolaters. Um, <clears throat> that pretty well covers Corinthian society. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and the problem is this, if you have to completely separate yourself from all unbelievers, you, you have to leave the world. You can't get into the world at all. You can't uh, interact with them. In 1 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> Someone would like to read verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Okay. So unbelievers invite you to a barbecue. Go ahead and go. You can eat with them. You can do that. So, but the issue in... <coughs> As we get to this chapter, the issue has to do with meat that has been offered to idols. Is that the issue or not? But he's just assuming here, you know, if, go ahead and go eat with them. You know, you're, you're not supposed to disassociate with them. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke chapter 15, and someone like to read verses 1 and 2 for us. tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay. Jesus ate with the sinners. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Someone like to read verses 10 and through 12. Matthew 9, verses 10 through 12. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Okay, so this is at Matthew's house. When he called Matthew the tax collector, Matthew had him over to meet all my friends, all these sinners and awful people. And when the religious people complained, Jesus is saying, how can, how can I get the message of the gospel of God's grace to the unsaved if I never see any of them, if I separate myself from them? I have to be amongst them. Um, and finally, let's look, John chapter 17. This is Christ's prayer on our behalf. 
John 17, someone like to read verse 15. Say, just pull us completely out of this world, but to protect us from Satan's influence while we are here. Um, and again, I mean, the note, you know, sometimes we get, you know, we've, uh, last year on Wednesday night studies, we talked about evangelism. Go talk to your friends. I'm thinking, I don't know many unbelievers anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we have to be in the world, we have to interact with the world to have any kind of mission with them uh, or mission to them uh, so we do have to interact with them so we're this is kind of a good spot to break because we're going to go on to talk about when we interact with sinners how it how that comes off um, but again uh, We'll have to do some reviewing because it's going to be two weeks before we get back into that. I'm stopping halfway through a verse. Joey, you want to pray for us again? Sure. <laughs> Lord, again, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come and open your word and see what you have for us. Thank you for the time that Daryl puts into it. Thank you for the time Robert puts into the messages. We just want to thank you for the leadership that we um, have in the, the way they, they do guide the, in the scriptures and read and let us, the scriptures come alive to us. It's a living Bible, a living word, your word to us. We thank you for that. We just pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless us through ministry here. And Lord, we also pray for the country um, of Israel at this point also, that your hand will be upon them. Amen. Amen.